and as is our custom on the fourth Sunday, we receive our sensibility offering. So I'm going to ask the young people if uh, they would come forward. It's provided for you in the pews. To Matthew's Gospel and to chapter 4, and uh, we begin reading at verse 12. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. You'll find that on page 3 of the Pew Bibles in the New Testament section, not at the very beginning, but towards the end. It's funny, isn't it? You know, page 3 in the middle of the Bible. You'll find it, though. Let's listen that we might hear God's word to us today. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. On those dwelling in the region of shadow uh, and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among people. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. And then from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. I'm going to preface this. I don't, I don't know what the heading is in your Bible, but I do want to preface this. Because I don't want anyone to be scared as we read this particular passage, okay? This passage is titled in my Bible, Divisions in the Church. Yes. Right? Okay? This is the lectionary passage for today, the New Testament lectionary passage. There are no divisions right now in our church. So I'm not reading this because there are any, dis any divisions. This is not the purpose for reading this particular passage. I want you to know that. Um, this is the lectionary passage. There is, um, I, 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 I spoke at the session meeting about a particular thing in this passage. I'm going to highlight today. It's not because there are divisions. So I just want to be clear on that. Are we good? Yes. Thank you. Good. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters. 
What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, as Peter, but I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I, I, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Excuse me, I'm going to pop this in my mouth. I just dropped one on the floor. See, when you're standing up here and reading, don't try and open a lozenge. It's never a good idea. Well, you're doing too many things at once. So, um, somebody remind me there is a lozenge on the floor and I will pick it up. I don't want it to get crumpled into the carpet. Um, so, we are uh, we're on the last Sunday of, of January. Um, yesterday was a special day for Scottish people. Wasn't it, Maisie? Yeah. It's a uh, celebration of Robert Burns' birthday. Uh, Robert Burns was a 17th, 17th century, no, 18th century, was in the 1700s, wasn't he? Poet in Scotland. Uh, lived on the west coast of Scotland, wrote many, many famous poems, which none of you will have any understanding of. Fair for your honest, sonsy face. Great chieftain of the pudding race, aboon them all, ye tag your place, pinch, triper, therm. Weel are ye worthy o' a grace as lang's my erm. You had no idea what I said, and that's fine. That's... I was, and I was not speaking in tongues either for any, any of you who may be charismatic in our midst. That's, uh, that's a quotation from, uh, from the Burns poem, I, uh, To a Haggis. It's the ode to the, to the haggis, that big hunk of meat that um, Scottish people so love. Anyway, um, yesterday is, is, is not just a special day for Scots, it was also a special day in, the, in, the, in church tradition. And I don't know how many of you are aware what January 25th is in church tradition. It, there's, a, there's a special liturgical ho holy day that's marked on January 25th. Does anyone have any idea what, what that is? Any idea? It's the, it's the feast of the conversion of St. Paul, believe it or not. And that's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm going to focus on uh, some of the issues uh, in, the, in the passage from 1 Corinthians today. Paul wrote uh, uh, um, that, that particular epistle to his friends in, in Corinth. So rather than simply focusing on Matthew's gospel as we, as we normally have tried to do over the last little while, we're also going to be focusing uh, on some of the things that Paul is saying in that particular epistle as we acknowledge uh, the, the conversion of, of St. Paul as a very significant day. Paul was the one who, with his uh, helpers, with his followers, with his other uh, evangelistic uh, companions, um, brought the good news of Jesus Christ into Europe. It was Paul that did that. 
We looked at that last summer as we studied the book of, of Philippians, that Paul brought the gospel, uh, first of all, to Greece. And from Greece, the good news of Jesus spread. And that's why, essentially, we know who Jesus is. Because this man, Paul, came to faith in Christ in a very dramatic way, as the story is told. Um, but he took that relationship very, very seriously. And it was utterly transforming for him. And through that message, the world was turned upside down. So I just wanted to acknowledge that that's a particular uh, feast that's celebrated in, in the churches. We acknowledge Paul, Paul's coming to, to faith. Um, we're also getting close to another, uh, what shall we say, cultural feast, if you want to call it, that next Sunday is, what's, what's the cultural feast that we celebrate <laughs> next Sunday? <laughs> what's it called? Super Bowl? No, that's particular to us. That's not a culture. That's a local cultural thing. That's a local culture. What? Super Bowl. Did some, someone else said that, didn't they? We had a couple of people mention the Super Bowl. I don't know a thing about football, but I do know that there's a big, a big game that some people like to watch, and they have some fun doing that. I saw a thing the other day there. You know, the thing about Super Bowl is you've got, you've got the the the. The football taking place. I mean, football is one of those things. It's a, it's a game that lasts an hour that takes four and a half hours. I mean, how do you make an hour stretch as long as that? Um, but, you know, there's a whole thing about the Super Bowl. Some people watch it for the commercials. Some people watch it for the, for the halftime show. And I, 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 read, I read somewhere um, that uh, imagine if you went to a musical concert, right? If you went to the theatre... I went to a musical concert, you know, and an and, and opera even. And imagine at the halftime point in the opera if they had a, a short football game. <laughs> it's like, really? So um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very strange cultural phenomenon, this whole Super Bowl thing. And, and I think the teams that are playing are the 49ers and the Chiefs, is that right? Oh, I know that much, that's great. Um, <laughs> And it seems to me like it's going to be a field of red next week. You know, I think the colours are very, very similar. So we're going to have a field of red. And, and for folks like me that don't follow football, I'm going to have no idea which team is which and what direction they're supposed to be, supposed to be going. And usually there's a clear, and there will be a clear, one will be home, one will be away, and they'll be wearing their different uniforms. But usually there's a very, very clear distinction between the, between the teams uh, which one is which, and who is supporting whom, who is following whom. It's not just the Super Bowl, uh, the, 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 the whole thing about football in America, it's the same in, in Britain with, with what we call football, which actually is football because you actually use your foot to kick the ball as a regular occurrence, not a once in a while thing as it is in what we in Britain call American uh, football. Um, the whole cultural phenomenon is uh, here, uh, I think, more unique than it is in the UK. I mean, you do, you do have, you know, very strident football supporters, but often it's tied in with, often it's not just tied in with the particular team, it's tied in with politics and it's tied in with, with religion and there are some significant divisions 
in Scotland, for example, between the different football supporters. But over here, um, the church I was in, for example, in North Carolina, um, we had, there was a major division in, the, in, that, in that particular church. Um, and it was a division over color, not over race, but over color. Half the church was blue, the other half of the church was red. We lived in North Carolina. NC State, one half of the church supported. UNC, the other half of the church supported. That was our particular division in our particular congregation when I was down in North Carolina. And it's amazing how these, uh, these divisions do actually take place. And you can tell who someone is following, who someone is supporting by the particular colors that they wear. Uh, you've got some people who are all or nothing. All or nothing. They've given themselves over completely to follow a particular sports uh, team. And you can identify who someone is and what team they support by the, the colors, by the uniform, uh, by the strip that they choose to wear. It's an identifier. It's very similar in many ways in, in the church, and that's something that Paul is, is, gives some clarity to. And it's not just a cultural phenomenon, but it is indeed, it is indeed a, a phenomenon that we, that we experience in the, in the church as well. Who are we following? Or what is it that we are following? Now, there's a lot of different philosophies uh, that, that, that we embrace in the church. Some of us watch uh, the televangelists. We, we like to, to listen to people like, I say we, I don't, but some people like to listen to preachers like Joel Osteen and, and various others. And there's a particular message that comes from folks like Joel Osteen. Uh, Joel is very much within the realm of the prosperity gospel, the word of faith gospel uh, that talks all about if you, ha if you believe the right thing, if you say the right words, if you smile just right, if your suit's made by a particular company, if your hair's just so, then God is going to bless you and God is going to bless you richly and there is nothing that you cannot be, there is nothing that you cannot do, and it's only your own lack of faith, it's only your own lack of trust, it's only your own lack of doing particular things, it's only your own lack of giving me a thousand dollars a week that's preventing you from becoming all that God wants you to be, and so many people buy into that. And it's a it's a word that you, that you see so many people, I mean, the attendance in worship, if, if it's worship, at, um, at Joel Osteen's church is in the, in the tens of thousands, I believe. And probably millions tune in to listen to that particular message that he gives uh, week by week and day by day. The challenge with the message that Joel Osteen gives is it's a humanistic message it's a message that's all about me, and it's about my ability. It's about my doing. It's about my becoming. It's about me making myself acceptable to God. It's about me becoming 
what I want to become in order that I might make myself pleasing to my heavenly Father. It's something that we see in many ways in our culture, and again, the church has embraced this. I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies. I'm more of a geek than I am a sports fan. And I'm a, I've become a big fan of the, of the Marvel movies. And uh, one of the things that we see in the Marvel movies is, in many ways, it seems like it's the triumph over, uh, of good over evil. But at the heart of what is going on, at the heart of the philosophy that's behind Marvel and be, behind DC and behind the whole comic book uh, universe, it's, it's not just the power of good over evil, the victory of good over evil, it's the victory of humanity over all other powers. What are superheroes but, but glorified, uh, enhanced human beings? I can do this myself if only I have the right tools, if only I have the right means, if only I can do this. I can make it happen on my own, by myself. I do not need any external forces. I do not need any spiritual forces. I do not need anything divine. But what I want to happen to happen. I can make myself right with God. That's essentially a kind of underlying, I think, message that all of us buy into. There was a Christian uh, sociologist a few years ago. Uh, he's still writing. Uh, his name is Christian Smith. And he wrote a couple of books back maybe about 15 years ago um, about uh, youth culture and college culture. Uh, one of the books was called Souls in Transition. And in his writings, he coined a phrase that sums up the philosophy that is not just in our culture, but has become the central philosophy for many in the church. And that phrase is this, moral therapeutic deism. Moral therapeutic deism. And what that means is moral is what you think it is. It's about doing the right things leading a good life, leading a life that is kind and is generous and is noble and is reaching out to others. It's being good, in other words. Therapeutic. Thera therapeutic is all about healing. It's all about making oneself whole, isn't it? You talk about therapy. You get therapy to make you better, to make you right. So at the heart of this is the understanding, if only I do the right type and the right number of good things, I can make myself right, and I can make myself well, and I can make myself whole. The deism piece, what does that mean? Well, deism is the understanding that there is a God, but that God basically starts everything off and leaves everything to its own devices and says, figure things out for yourself. That God may come in as a deus ex machina every now and again, and uh, uh, give a little bit of help here and there, but that God is essentially hands-off and lets you and me make a mess of things or lets you and me try and clean things up ourselves with little or no role whatsoever. It's all about you. It's all about me. And that's a message that the church all too often 
has bought into. But I can fix myself. I don't need to follow Jesus. Or I only need to follow Jesus insofar as Jesus is a, a decent example. He was good. He was kind. He was a nice person. He was a good teacher. So long as I'm doing some of the things that Jesus did, then I am okay. And we bought into that wholesale. Paul gives this challenge to his church. And it's a challenge that does come to us as well. It's the challenge of what is at the heart of the gospel. If the gospel is about you, and if the gospel is about me being able to save ourselves and to fix ourselves and to make ourselves right with God, that's not really good news. It's awful hard work. But Paul says the gospel is about Jesus. I wonder if I were to ask you, what do you think is the purpose of the church? What do you think the church is really supposed to be doing? And I'm sure I would get a whole host of, of different answers. I'm not going to ask you right now, but I'm going to pause for a minute and let you ponder that for a second. What do you believe the church is all about? What do you believe that the church has to offer? Perhaps the church has to offer an example to people. Maybe that's what the church offers. An example of kindness, an example of of generosity. Perhaps the church has to offer a, a, a sanctuary, a safe haven for, for people. Perhaps that's what it means to be part of, of the church. Perhaps the church offers practical needs to its members and to those around the church. Maybe that's what the church should be about. Maybe the church uh, should be about uh, providing materially for those around. Maybe the church should be, I, I don't know. You all have different answers, I'm sure. But at the heart of things, the church only has one thing to offer. All these other pieces are good and they're great and they're noble and they're lovely and they're wonderful and they show love, whatever those other pieces might be. But service and education and help and food, all of these things can be found in so many other places. You have to look very far and you will find all of these other things. But friends, all that the church has to offer is the Lord Jesus Christ and absolutely nothing else. Anything else the church 
offers is because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. There was a book written a few years ago by Billy Graham's, one of Billy Graham's grandsons. I'm I'm not sure I can pronounce the name. Um, I believe it's Tullian Chivigian. It's an unusual name. Um, He he, uh, was, I think may still be a pastor in, in Florida. And he wrote a book that was called uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Friends, we fill our lives with so many things. We fill our minds with so many things. We believe the church is here to offer so many things. But all that the church has to offer at our heart is the Lord Jesus Christ and who He is. The Lord Jesus Christ. There's an old gospel hymn. It's one of those hymns that have the words repeated again and again. Each verse, uh, the, the, the hymn speaks about different areas of life, different moments in our days, uh, different transitions in our lives. For example, the first verse, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And the refrain goes, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all the world, but give me Jesus. Friends, is that your heart's cry? Is that your heart's desire? Do you want all the other stuff? Or are you longing for Jesus? Javidian's book, Again, the title, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. There's another equation, if you like, that you can add to that. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Paul's question was who are you following? Who are you following? Which direction are you going in? When Jesus came to these fishermen on the shores of Galilee, he had one thing to say to them. Lay down your nets and follow me. That same invitation comes to each one of us whatever else you're holding in your hands, whatever else you consider to be important, lay it down. And then he says, come and follow me. And in following him, you lay everything else down 
and you find that in following him, you gain the whole world. Are you willing to follow him? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.